It's the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're doing well out there, or maybe I should say in there these days, because, you know, we're all kind of still inside these weeks and months. They're starting to blend together here, aren't they? Um, Before we dive into today's conversation, it's a good one as always, uh, but first we're going to roll the audio from a YouTube video where I'm answering a reader's question. So here's that now. How do you turn a service into a product? That's the question that I'm going to answer today. Hey, Brian Castle here. Today I'm answering another question from a reader of my newsletter. And uh, Basile wrote, how do you transition from service to productization? Any specific tactics that you can share? Got tons of, you know, specific tactics that that could take us all year. I'm going to try to keep this short. Uh, But first, you know, let me take the first part of that question. What does it mean to transition? When I'm thinking about the, the transition from selling services to selling a product or a productized service, really what we're talking about here is moving away from serving anyone and and anyone and doing any types of different projects to serving a very specific customer and doing it in a very specific, repeatable, predictable way. That's how you get to a more scalable version of your service, which functions much more like a product. And that's how I think about productizing a service. And so here's a quick productization framework, if you will. Uh, it, It boils down to three big steps that you'll need to work your way through throughout the course of this transition. The first big step is pick the right customer. You know, we're kind of talking about picking the right market to serve. Again, we're going to move away from serving any customer, any client who comes to your door to serving a very specific type of customer or a type of company, and maybe a very specific type of person who works in that company. As you go through this, you want to develop a really clear understanding of the persona, who they are, what they deal with, the questions that that are on their mind, their aspirations, their needs, their frustrations. And as you talk to more and more of this type of customer and you see more of the same type of customer, you learn more about them and you learn how to serve them even better. In other words, you learn how to dial in just the right perfect product or solution for them. Now, picking the right customer will certainly require a lot of trial and error. I definitely recommend starting with a particular group of people or a community that you already have inroads in, that you already have some some insider knowledge about, maybe some personal connections, warm contacts. Uh, In many cases, people start by working with clients that they've already worked with before. That's, That's always the best first step is to try to sell products or sell new versions of your service to people who have already bought from you. That's that's always easier than trying to find brand new people. But Of course, once you start to dial in who that ideal customer is for you, then that's when you'll start to want to figure out where can I go to meet more of this type of customer. So that's big step number one. The very next step, once you figure out who it is that you want to serve with your business, it's picking a valuable problem to solve. So now what do I mean by that? A valuable problem has two key characteristics to it. Number one, there is evidence that that customer that you're serving is willing to pay for this problem, meaning that they have paid for it in the past. And even better, they have paid you to solve this problem in the past. So it's a a really good idea to start with your clients who you have done services for in the past. You can start to identify what were the specific things that you've done maybe more than once. You know, those are good indicators that, that it could be a valuable problem to solve again and again in a repeatable way in the future. Now, there are two key characteristics to a valuable problem 
to solve. The first is that your your customer is aware of the problem. You know, this is a pitfall that that many new entrepreneurs fall into, where they kind of believe that some problem exists, but their customers are not aware of the problem. Maybe that problem does exist, but if they're not aware that they have the problem, then they're not going to be actively seeking it out, and and it'll just be much harder to educate customers that they have the problem in the first place and then convince them that it's worth paying for. And that's the second characteristic. There needs to be evidence that your ideal customer has paid for this problem to be solved in the past and that they do it on a very regular basis. And so that's why it's it's always easiest to look to your own previous clients who have paid you to solve problems for them. That's always the best starting point because you you have personal firsthand evidence that clients have paid you to solve a problem before. So you can look to all of your past work and maybe start to pick out the very specific bits of services that you have offered, and especially the ones that you've done repeat, you know, more than once. Uh, those are all always good starting points as you start to think about valuable problems that you could solve. And finally, the, the third step, once you think you're onto something with your ideal customer and you think you've, you've identified a valuable problem to solve, it's to start to design, start to create a more predictable version of your service. Again, we're moving away from doing all different types of custom projects to doing one type of solution to one problem and then doing it in a very repeatable, predictable way. So you can take your best methodologies, your best way of doing things, your best tools, your best tactics, and package them together in your best process for delivering the best possible solution, the best outcome. Right. And so, so this is something that you can work on over time. You can work the process, whether it's just you doing it at first or working it with your team, because, you know, we all know that there are a thousand different ways to solve the same problem or a thousand different ways to do the same type of work. You want to pick the best way for you to do it. And especially if it supports your goal of doing it in a very repeatable, scalable way that can follow a very specific process. And so those three steps, you know, picking an ideal customer, picking an ideal problem, and then solving it in a very predictable way, at its core, that's what selling a product is. And you can absolutely follow that three-step framework to transition your service into a productized service. Of course, this will not happen overnight. It never does. These things are not easy, but this is definitely well worth it because if you start to, to intentionally work through these kinds of steps to transition your business, you'll thank yourself later. So if you have a question that you'd like to hear me uh, talk through here, just reply to any of my email newsletters and that's where I'm grabbing these questions from. And if this gave you something to think about, leave a comment, hit subscribe. Thanks, thanks for watching. Today on the show, I'm talking to Belinda Jacobs, founder of techpacks.co. Uh, this is an interesting one. She's running this, this productized service business that is very, very much niched down, I guess, or niched down. I, I hate that word. <laughs> but I love it when it applies to a business like this, because, you know, Belinda is someone who comes from the fashion industry. And so she has this sort of like insider knowledge as a product designer, and she knows the whole process of designing products, especially apparel, and what goes into getting them manufactured. And so she explained to me the idea of what a tech pack is. I thought it was a backpack. It's totally not. But it's apparently a, a very technical document with diagrams and specs and things to help a product designer translate to a manufacturing facility, you know, what they need to be made. And so she helps do that. And, and we talked about 
you know, hiring her first employee, how she got this started, moving from from London to Los Angeles and and making a go at at starting this brand new business from the ground up, you know, developing contacts, going to conferences and developing partnerships. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground in this one as as always. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Belinda Jacobs. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with uh, Belinda Jacobs. Belinda, great to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so, you know, I've been taking a look at techpacks.co. When you first sent, sent me the message in the community, I, I was like, oh, techpacks, that's kind of like like tech backpacks. That, that was like the first thing that came to my mind, you know, <laughs> which is completely not what you guys do. So, yeah, why don't you tell us, like, you know, real quick about what, what uh, techpacks is? Yeah, so... Um... Despite what the name sounds like, we are actually a manufacturing company. So we write specifications for manufacturing clothing and textile products. So brands or stores or sellers, they hire us and we take their product design and create technical documentation for for them that explains how they want their product made and um, how they want the product to look and, and what materials and things need to be used. And then the client then has this documentation and they can take it to a factory anywhere in the world and they have all the information they need to be able to get their product mass produced. Very cool. Very cool. And so I, I, I mean, I assume that like tech packs, that's a term that in this industry, people probably know pretty well, right? Yeah. So that's a term that originates from the fashion industry and it's just short for technical package which like I said, it's basically like a blueprint type document slash instruction manual um, that you would use for production. Very cool. I mean, I I love the idea of, you know, somebody coming from an industry that they, that, uh, you know, you must, and we're going to get your story, but you know, you must know this industry really well and, and know it inside and out. And so, you know, I love talking about the idea of having this like insider knowledge, right? And even just in the name, like I said, like, I'm not in this industry. So tech packs, doesn't really mean anything to me, but your ideal customers, they instantly know what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. We, we've just kind of stolen the industry word um, and used it as the company name. Um, so yeah, that, that was good for when we first started just getting some initial search rankings because um, yeah, we can rank for that term quite well when people just put it into a search engine, which is great. Cool. And so, so you've told me that, that you've been at, you know, running the tech packs for since 2016. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, cool. And, and we'll go back before that. I, I guess you came from like the, the fashion industry, but can you give us like a sense of today, you know, here in the middle of, of 2020, what does tech packs kind of look like? Any sense of size of the company, whether you're comfortable sharing revenue or number of people who you, who you work with? Yeah. So right now it's me and my one design assistant who's been with me for about a year um, and we both work full-time in the business and we normally have around anywhere between three, four, five, up to maybe 10 clients a month. Okay. Um, we have a productized service and some clients will buy sort of several packages from us at one go and some clients will just be buying a, a one-off single package from us in one go. So the workload can be quite up and down um, and some months we're very busy and some months we're, we're not as busy. Got it. And I was taking a look at your pricing. So it, it's basically like priced per tech pack, essentially. Yeah. So would that mean like, so they have a single product that they need to be manufactured in that. And so like one product, one tech pack 
if they have like multiple, like a multi-product product line, then it would be like a package of different tech packs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So some people tend to work in collections where they develop multiple products in one go. Um, and some people tend to just develop one one product at a time. You know, people who who don't necessarily make apparel products normally tend to just develop one one product at a time. Um, so yeah, we, we work with both kinds of brands. Got it. Got it. It's it's an interesting pattern because I've been uh, some of the recent episodes I talked to Sam Shepler and um, Joel from Case Study Buddy, and so those those are also very much like. You know, you buy one or you buy a small batch of of deliverables and and kind of selling those packages. So it's interesting how you've broken out the pricing here. It looks like there's like a basic and an advanced and then the uh, enterprise, which is like call us for pricing. What does like a typical engagement look like? Is it like what's most common? Do they usually come to you for, for one tech pack or do they or do you do like bulk pricing or anything like that? Yeah, so it. it- it's really varied, actually, um, and it completely depends on on the sort of company that they are. Companies that are more sort of fashion brands tend to develop collections with multiple products in, um, and they're more likely to be doing several products at once, um, in which case we do do um, like special rates and bulk pricing for them. And people who are maybe more so developing their first product um, or startups um, or people who sell kind of niche and speciality products online on Amazon, places like that, they tend to just be doing sort of one product at a time and they're more likely to just do one, maybe the advanced package with us. Got it. Got it. Can you tell us a little bit more about like these tech packs? Like what, what goes into them? I was, I think somewhere on your site, now I lost it. It, it had like a visual kind of a video showing what, what a tech pack is. And, and to me, it, it does look very technical. It looks like there's a lot of, I'm seeing like diagrams and lines and specs and, and it, it looks like a lot of work to, that, that goes into one of these. Can you talk us through maybe explain in like layman terms what, what goes into this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they're, they're super detail oriented and, and pretty complex to put together. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an, an investment to have one done, but it, it should pay off throughout the sort of life cycle of, of manufacturing your product. So we would start off with technical drawings of your product. We would list all the materials that go into your product and, and the details of each material and also show visuals for each material. We would actually describe your product as well with you know bullet points and arrows. We would talk about the construction of the product. So how is it made? How is it, you know, how, how does each piece join together? We would talk about any labels that go on a product, any packaging, things like that. And most importantly, we would also uh, list out all the dimensions of the product as well. And if it comes in multiple sizes, all of those sizes will also have all dimensions listed out for each size as well. Wow. And so, I mean, I'm curious, like, so a product owner, product designer comes to, like, they must have those things somewhat figured out already right is it like is it like you're you're coming in to understand what they've already designed and get it into a documented form that the manufacturer can take or are you actually helping designers like design their products and get the details right yeah so it's more like the former the company would come to us with some kind of design idea and some kind of prototype or sort of work in progress sample 
um, that just sort of shows us the direction that they want to go in with the design and roughly what shape they want it to be and roughly how it's going to work. And then we will take that and work together to kind of, you know, fill in any gaps, finalize all the details. You know, I can advise them on the best way to put everything together. But yeah, ultimately, they'll already sort of have a a concept um, and I will sort of help polish it. Interesting. I mean, is it like, because when I think of like, like large, you know, clothing designers and and things like you, you, I would assume that like a lot of these larger companies have in-house people who would be doing this sort of like tech pack, you know, putting that together. Is it that you're kind of bridging the, the gap for the smaller players to, to kind of play on that level, but they don't necessarily have that in-house resource. And so they come to a service like yours. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. So small, smaller companies don't have the resources to, you know, have someone doing this full time. And if they only have a few products, they wouldn't need somebody to do this full time. Um, so yeah, we're, we're mostly working with smaller companies that, that don't have that resource in-house. Got it. Got it. I mean, that's an interesting pattern that I see uh, in a lot of productized services. It's like, it kind of bridges that gap between hiring somebody full-time and, you know, trying to like bootstrap it and, and do it, do everything yourself to, you know, trying to play with the big players and, and do it, you know, hiring a, a productized service more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely approaching it from a problem-solving perspective. Very cool. So why don't we step back and like go back to your your background? I mean, you, you must be in this industry. You must know a thing or two about this sort of thing. So, so how did this all, you know, kind of come together for you? Yeah. So I used to work in the fashion industry as a designer. I had my first job in, in about 2010. Um, and I worked as a design assistant at that time for a department store in the UK. And I had various other uh, jobs in the industry after that, working for different high street stores, um, different brands. Um, and we always had the similar kinds of problems popping up um, again and again, no matter who I was working for. And even though we worked with some really great factories and manufacturing partners, there would still always be such a struggle to translate design ideas and give them to a factory who is overseas, um, you know, describing your product to people you've never met who you know, maybe don't have the same cultural background or level of education as you um, was just really difficult. And it costs, you know, a lot of money to be spending so much time on this. You know, a lot of time was wasted. There was just so much back and forth and, and constant confusion, even to the point that, you know, things would arrive in store sometimes and they'd still be incorrect. So I just started sort of to myself working on my own process of being a bit more thorough and intentional with the tech pack um, and trying to create my own sort of better methodology for doing that. And you were doing this like while at the job working with these other, and as a designer yourself and working with other designers. Yeah. So um, yeah, it it was definitely clear to me that this was sort of a painful problem that, that people needed help with. So in about 2016, I moved to the US and decided I wanted to start my own business And I didn't know many people here, didn't really have any connections in LA. And I wasn't sure, to be honest, if I could just make it as a, if I just sort of sold myself as a generalist designer or consultant. So yeah, I decided to start a productized service, solve this one problem, and, you know, hopefully be able to use that to stand out in the market and and attract new business. Interesting. So, so you moved to the US in 2016. And so I'm trying to understand, like, did you leave those jobs and leave? You were in London? Yes. Yeah. Did you leave that like 
like with the intention of starting a, a business like this or to do or to design your own products or maybe a little bit of both or yeah like what was your intention in that that's a pretty big move right yes yeah so I, actually i moved because my husband had um was transferred over here with his job okay so you know i had to leave my old job and it just seemed like a good opportunity as we were kind of starting from scratch anyway to take the leap and and start my own business that's fantastic Okay, so that seems like a really good opportunity to kind of, you know, turn a page and start something new still within the same industry, though. Did you ever sort of see yourself getting into this sort of like being a business owner in the first place, but even this sort of like consulting, like internal to the industry? Or like, where, where did this even like come? Because I, I can understand figuring out these efficient ways of doing things when you're in that job. But to present it as a or pitch it as a service to other companies in this space, like where did that kind of come about? Yeah, so um, it was it sort of gradual in a way. When I was working full-time in the UK, I was doing a little bit of freelance work just on the side in evenings and weekends. And I had clients who were asking me to do tech packs um, and they were much more keen on having that problem solved than they were sort of paying just for design services. So that had kind of planted a seed already. And I, I, I think the the move just kind of spurred me into action, obviously, as we were kind of starting again. Um, I, I decided to kind of just launch this service. Great. So what were your very first steps? Like, yeah, like how did you get the very first contacts, first clients? And was it called Tech Packs at the beginning? Did it look different than it looks today? What, what was that like in 2016? Yeah, so I, I did call it Tech Packs Co from the beginning. And I just started off trying to um, use word of mouth um, and network with other people in my industry um, to kind of get referrals to start me off. So at the moment, I get a lot of referrals from other sort of complementary service providers who recommend my services, which is great. And I just started trying to go to conferences and to go to trade shows and events and to speak to as many people as I could there. Um, and I just tried to, you know, keep in touch with people, follow them on social media, you know, stay connected, follow what they're up to and, and sort of hope that they, they do vice versa. So, yeah, it was definitely sort of a slow trickle of referrals to begin with. That's how I got started. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I know that there are so many people out there who are, a lot of them are at a full-time job, like a corporate job, and they're thinking like, well, if I could, if I could make it on my own, but how would I even get those very first customers? And it's, it's about networking and finding those contacts where you can. I thought, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned, well, two things. I mean, one is being proactive and going out to, to those conferences. That For me, like, I was self-employed for like four or five years before I ever went to, to a single conference. And it was, I regret that. I, I wish I started, you know, meeting people in person sooner because things definitely started to connect a little bit more after that. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's definitely a, a tip that I think, regardless of industry, just get out and meet people, especially if you don't have many contacts to begin with. But the, the other one is, is how you mentioned that you partnered or, or like kind of, you know, get referrals from other adjacent services. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what are the other services? How, how did those sort of transactions come about? Yeah, so so there are a lot of sort of different types of consultants in the manufacturing um, sort of space, as well as actual manufacturers and 
manufacturers, sorry, and, and cut and sew factories themselves. So yeah, I just like to sort of network with people who might find a use for my services for their clients, but also I might be able to connect with them and recommend their services also to my clients. So it's it's a good two-way street. And yeah, I, I just sort of felt compelled to do it in the beginning just because I felt like I didn't know people and I didn't have those connections. So yeah, I, I just thought it was a good time to start. Yeah, very cool. So from the beginning there, was it was the business sort of set up the way that Tech Packs is set up with the packages and pricing and everything? Or was it different? Or did you learn anything pretty early on? Yeah, definitely. Um, so much. <laughs> so the packages were pretty similar to what they are now, but ever so slightly different. So I've just sort of slightly tweaked them um, as I've gone along. Um, and I've also increased the pricing since I've gone along because I started out quite cheap you know, when I just didn't have as much experience um, and it's kind of slowly increased from there. Um, and I've just sort of used the feedback from clients, um, feedback, you know, on how their projects have gone, how their samples have turned out, how their production has turned out. I sort of use that to keep, to keep refining how we do everything um, to sort of tweak the packages and, you know, inform our systems. Can you remember any like specific feedback from clients or the way that projects went early on that gave you some like aha moments of like, oh, we should change this or maybe I should message this a little bit differently? Yeah, definitely. I definitely now know to manage expectations much better than I did before, especially if I'm working with new brands or startups who aren't super experienced with the whole manufacturing process then I find that I need to do a lot more sort of managing of expectations and a bit more education up front just to give them the chance to be able to use the work that we give them properly and to sort of educate them on how to use their tech packs and to, you know, show them sort of what kind of results they, they can expect, what kind of results they shouldn't expect, uh, things like that. So, yeah, I, I definitely see my clients and therefore my own business being much more successful when we do that. Yeah. I've, I've seen time and time again, the same thing with, with audience ops, especially early on in like the first year or two, it was, we did, I remember we did a big overhaul into the customer onboarding experience from the customer's side, everything from like the timing of our emails to how often we're giving them updates. And I remember we created this like welcome video, like how you can be a good client with us and just really lay the groundwork for, for making this thing smooth. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it really does make all the difference. Yeah. And I could, I could imagine that with like startups, like new product designers, do you tend to work with uh, like first time manufacturers or, or like, do they come to you when they've, when they're somewhat established and they've, and they've kind of like gone through the, maybe the painful experience of trying to do it themselves? Yeah, a, a, a bit of both. So we do work with some startups who are kind of new to the industry, maybe making their first product. And they often um, hire us just because they kind of want the, they want the expertise, they want the advice, um, they want someone to kind of show them what to do. And then we also get hired by more established brands as well. And they more so will hire us uh, potentially because they have a, a problem, something is going wrong with their product, you know, some maybe something in production isn't working very well, or maybe they need to change suppliers for some reason, and therefore they want to get 
you know, documentation for all of their products and things like that. So it's a bit of both, um, which I really like. Just keeps things varied. Yeah, very cool. Just a minute to tell you about Process Kit. If your operation needs to become more efficient and more predictable so that your team never lets anything fall through the cracks, then it's time to implement Process Kit. Process Kit is process-driven project management software made for powering client services businesses. It's especially designed with productized services in mind. Create powerful SOPs with built-in if-this-then-that automations, and then use those processes to power all of your repeatable projects. Whether you're managing a pipeline of new clients onboarding to your service, or tracking weekly deliverables, sales proposals, marketing assets, or admin work, Process Kit is your team's place for getting it all done, but more importantly, done right. Use our powerful Zapier integration to hook Process Kit into all of your other systems. And if you'd like expert help with improving your processes and automations, ask about our Process Kit implementer service. Request your free demo and trial at processkit.com. I want to get into how you hired your assistant. You know, because one thing that I know that a lot of people, I get this question a lot, especially from people who are who start as like solo consultants and they have a very specific skill, you know, talent, and they do things a certain way and their clients trust them. It's a really big step to hire somebody to deliver work that's going basically under your name, even though you're, you're branded here as tech packs. But can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I mean, before when you started like in 2016 and, and, and on from there, it was basically all you doing everything, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it, it was all me until um, about this time last year. Okay, so it was about a year ago. So like what led up to the decision just to even hire somebody at all? Yeah, I, I, I sort of knew I wanted to do it. But I, it, it was tricky to do because I sort of felt stuck in a chicken and egg situation where I didn't have any time to grow my business because I was working on client projects all day, every day. But I couldn't sort of spend the time to grow a little bit more to get sort of more projects to then be able to outsource to somebody else. Right. So at some point, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to have to again, take the leap and just go out on a limb and do it. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. Right. So like a year ago, you're like a good three years into this business already. So you must have already figured out like the process and and optimized the whole, the way projects work. And like, you must have had a sense of like, okay, if I had somebody else doing this part of the work, I I know what that role could entail. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I, I already had my systems, my processes. I had a bunch of SOPs and checklists um, and templates that I use and assets that we use to, you know, actually complete projects. So that was really helpful in that that was kind of all sort of tried and tested already. And I could, I could, well, what I thought was, you know, easily dive into working with somebody. Um, but there was a lot more training in, involved than I had realized. But I'm, I'm super glad that I did it. It's great. Yeah. So who did you look for? Like what type of person, what type of uh, skill or background did you look for in in those candidates? Yeah, so I was looking for somebody um, to be a design and sketching assistant. So I looked for somebody with a background in the fashion industry and some design and basically really a high level of drawing skills in Adobe Illustrator, basically. 
because that's what they were going to be doing from for most of the day. Got it. And you're still, is it still today the case where you're kind of directing and doing most of the high level work and then you kind of delegate the production work? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So uh, I still sort of manage all the projects, um, but my design assistant sort of does a a percentage of, of the manual work within each project. Mm-hmm. But sort of I still do the sales and communicate with clients and just sort of manage everything. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Like what were those very first early weeks of working with your new assistant like? Like what what were some of the learnings that you had, th- you know, things that you've improved? Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't realize how much time I needed to put aside to actually work with her. So definitely think about that if if you're at this stage. But yeah, we just went over all of our SOPs together, um, all of the kind of templates um, and files and assets that we have for her to kind of use to help complete projects. And honestly, we we dived straight into actually doing client work. Yeah. That, I mean, really, that's the best way to learn is, is to like teach and learn on real projects. Yeah. Yeah. So it since then, it, it's just been actually doing real projects and, and just learning as she goes. And, you know, just lots of back and forth between between us two. And is this person a full-time employee, a, a contractor? Did they start part-time? What did that look like? She is full-time, but she's an overseas contractor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I hired her through a website called onlinejobs.ph, um, which is, yeah, for remote jobs in the Philippines. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's a really good point that you make about the time investment because I've, I've experienced that myself a lot. And I see a lot of people like, oh, I'm so busy that I, I need to go hire somebody. And once I hire someone, I'm going to be so freed up the next day. It just doesn't work like that, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like a hump. Like you, you hire somebody and then your time investment goes up to get them trained and comfortable. And then you you get the, the return on the investment. You, you start to free yourself up a little bit later. Yeah, 100%. Uh, which is why I think it's great if you can do it sort of ever so slightly before you actually feel ready or kind of feel the urgent need, then then you'll be in an even better position. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of cover uh, like the sales and marketing stuff. Uh, I mean, your website looks looks really great. Thank you. Uh, one thing that I that I noticed that that is interesting is the where is it the free samples like download a sample tech pack. Yep. Oh, and that's where where you'll see like the it's like an animated GIF, I guess that that shows the what a tech pack looks like. But that that's like an email opt in form that I guess is like leads to like a lead that that you might eventually talk to. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. So um, anyone who signs up for that will will get an email with the content upgrade in, which is just the example tech packs. Um, so yeah, we we sort of get some some leads through there. Um, people just wanting to see what they can expect and what a proper tech pack should look like. Right, right. Yeah, can you take us through like what the sales process kind of looks like? Do, do These days, do most leads come through your website or do they come through contacts and referrals or mix? It's a mix, definitely both, which I like. I It's nice to sort of not have all your eggs in one, one single basket. Mm-hmm. But yes, you can book a free consultation with us on the website. You will need to answer a few qualifying questions, give us your contact details, 
And then the lead would go through to like a Canly booking page to book a, a call with me. And I would then have that call with the lead and then send them some more information about working with us, about what to expect, what to prepare for the project and, and how to get started. Got it. Got it. Are there any ways that you've like optimized your, your sales process over time or like maybe like streamlined your, your time investment in doing the calls and things like that? Yeah. So I've, I've set up some automations so that the emails that they get after signing up and after booking the call um, and after having the call, those emails are all automated and they include links to sort of more information that they might want to look at links to documentation. One of them has a, a link to like um, a small demo video that I made um, just showing, you know, what a tech pack is. So yeah, all of those sort of iterations have taken time and I've sort of added, added them on as I've gone along. Yes. And, and I've spent some time um, like optimizing the sort of sign up pages as well, where you can actually put an, enter your email address in the box to sign up. Yeah, actually, I was, I was wondering about that. So so after they talk to you, do you point them to like a page on, on your website where they purchase or, or how does that work? So when do you mean when they're actually going to sort of become a client and start a project? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you do like a standard invoice and they pay you? Hours? Yeah. It's just a, a standard invoice. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then, you know, again, like coming back to th this idea of like selling packs, right. Or selling, these are essentially one-off products is it very common that you get repeat purchases? And do you do anything to encourage that, like following up, you know, periodically? Yeah, so I definitely follow up periodically just to kind of see how they're getting on, you know, ask for feedback, uh, see what results they got. Um, and again, to see if they want to do any new projects, like you say. And sometimes we will go back and revisit the old project if they kind of want any updates or changes making to to what we did originally because it's pretty common in, in manufacturing to sort of have to make changes once you start developing your your product if you know you need to use slightly different materials maybe or you want to change the length of something things like that you know it's interesting you, you bring that up because this this again comes up a lot is like how, how do you define the scope especially since this is like a one-time purchase you you put a one price right on the packages there's like a what is it basic and advanced but like first of all if it's a brand new product is there more variation than just the basic and advanced where it's like oh this is a really complex project that's going to require even more pages in the tech pack or something like that is is there any sort of like scope creep that comes into this or or it's really standard at, the, at this point it's generally mostly standard but then there are very occasional exceptions that kind of don't don't sort of fit the mold of of being similar to everything else. So in that case, I would say to somebody that we possibly need to charge them for two tech packs. Um, sometimes if they're making like a two-in-one product. Mm -hmm. And then how, how do you deal with like the revisions, right? Especially if the product changes during that process. Yeah. So we sort of do, revisions are included in the price if revisions are sort of needed immediately as we're initially finalizing the tech packs. Mm -hmm. But then if the client wants to come back later, let's say, you know, they've been in production for six months already and now they need to change the color of something, then we would just bill any updates hourly for, for that kind of work. And normally it's pretty sort of short and, and simple. Got it. Got it. 
And so, you know, lastly, I, I definitely wanted to touch on the store. So you, you're also selling kind of uh, digital products, I guess, that off of off of tech packs. So I'm seeing like like template downloads and yeah, can you tell like oh, and this is kind of like a core like a design course for entrepreneurs in in designing and in fashion. Like, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so we have two digital products at the moment. Um, one is a a template download. And one is a course. And I just sort of created those out of a need, really, from people asking me about how they could get started doing their own tech packs. I get a lot of emails from students um, and people who, yeah, have a business but want to start a business making products. And they just ask me, how, how can they get started cheaply? Do I have any advice? You know, lots of sort of basic um, starter questions I get over email. So I thought it would be of a benefit to kind of um, capture some of this information in the course and create a digital tech pack template that people can buy and download just to help those who kind of don't really have a budget for such things yet, um, just to kind of help them get started. Yeah. So so they're kind of like still in the, in this like starter phase where they're not quite established enough yet to like really hire your service or, or have a direct need for it, but they want to learn and they want to use your, your templates. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. How long have you been offering these? I've had them for, uh, I think the template for two years and the course for about a year and a half. Oh, great. So where do people find this stuff? Like, are you pretty active in, in communities or you have an audience in, in this industry at this point? I have a small audience just through the newsletter I run, which um, is a weekly newsletter called Tech Pack Tuesdays. And outside of that, um, honestly, I don't do as much marketing as I should. Um, it's not one of my strong points. <laughs> but yes, I'm uh, again, that comes back to what I was talking about in the beginning, um, kind of networking with other people in my industry um, is a good way to sort of get them to talk about my products, I can talk about their products and just kind of create content in my weekly newsletter that's sort of help helping my audience have, you know, small wins and educating them. That's great. Well, you know, I wanted to wrap up this interview. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that we're talking here in the middle of April 2020, global pandemic, <laughs> everybody's home right now. How has this impacted your world, your your business, your industry? What what is because I'm always sort of like, I'm actually like fascinated about like different industries. Some are doing okay. Some, some are completely shuttered at this point. Like what, what is the, uh, what, what's happening in the fashion industry right now? And how, how is it impacting uh, tech packs? Yeah, the, um, everyone in manufacturing is, um, has been hit quite hard, really. The disruptions are pretty big because most things work on a per order basis when something like this happens. Um, people are just people and brands are just kind of canceling their orders, stopping production just because if if they have no sales, they can't afford to be making more products. Um, it's typically not a, a super high margin industry. Um, so again, that that doesn't help with things. So yeah, a, a lot of people are stopping production right now and canceling orders, um, especially retailers, obviously because stores are closed. Mm -hmm. But even e-commerce stores are having problems with shipping, you know, customs, importing. A lot of factories are closed. You know, China has opened up a little bit more. 
now in, in the past few weeks, but a, a lot of manufacturing in India is closed down. So yeah, it's it's kind of a bit of a bit of a standstill for the for the industry. Yeah. And so like what what does this mean for, for you and for tech packs? And like are you changing focus this year at all or adapting in any way given the, the current climate? Yeah, so we we're a bit quiet at the moment, which gives me a chance to finally work on some of the marketing plans that I have. So I hope in the next few weeks that we are going to start creating some video content to educate customers about tech packs and about manufacturing in general. Um, and I'm also hoping to set up some, or oh, some, I should say, a affiliate program mm-hmm. so that we can capitalize a bit more on um, getting referrals from other people in the industry and, you know, get some more sales in for our digital products as well. Yeah, that's great. And, and I, you know, I love the way you put it because I hear, I hear this come up a lot recently around this time is like, you know, we're kind of quiet right now, but this is an opportunity to work on things that you're probably just too busy to work on, but you should, whether it's content or marketing or affiliate programs, you know, this is all, all really good, you know, because the economy is going to snap back at some point. It might be, it's just a question of when, you know? So, I mean, these industries aren't going anywhere. Your business isn't going anywhere. It's just, you know, you might as well set up to be to come out of this stronger and have, you know, all new assets and things to, to come out, come out of this with. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And hopefully it will just be a short pause um, and we'll all get back to um, sort of running on normal soon. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, we'll get everything linked up in the show notes. So the website of course is techpacks.co and it is not backpacks for tech folks as I thought it was when I first heard it, but <laughs> Yeah, like uh, Belinda, where else can people uh, connect with you? Um, if you want to follow along with what we're up to, um, you can subscribe to the newsletter, which is just at techpacks.co forward slash newsletter. Very cool. Well, yeah, thanks for doing this. It was a good conversation. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. All right. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.